Hello, and welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, I speak with renowned yoga teacher and author, Uma Dinsmore Tully, about womb yoga, the resurgence of feminine wisdom through social media, the true power of surrender, and our hopes for future generations of girls. I first discovered Uma Dinsmortuli when I saw her book Yoni Shakti at my local yoga studio and it practically shouted at me, pick me up and read me. It's become what I not so jokingly call my new Bible. Yoni Shakti is a courageous and radical book that explores the sexual politics of yoga along with history, philosophy, and practical guidance. It's truly a treasure trove of information that lives up to its subtitle, A Woman's Guide to Power and Freedom Through Yoga and Tantra. Uma met yoga in 1969 at the age of four and fell in love. She's been practicing ever since and teaching yoga since 1994. A yoga therapist with expertise in yoga therapy for women's health, Uma is a mother of three and has written four books on yoga for women, including the massive Yoni Shakti. Uma has developed Total Yoga Nidra in a radical, creative, and intuitive approach to sharing yoga nidra and co-founded the Yoga Nidra Network. She teaches internationally and has trained over 1,000 specialist teachers in Total Yoga Nidra and women's yoga. Uma, first of all, thank you for your book, Yoni Shakti, and for the many years of work you've dedicated to exploring divine feminine healing work in thought and practice. Thank you. I'm honored to be invited. Thank you for your kind invitation, and thank you for your work sharing all this wisdom. You're perhaps best known for creating womb yoga, which is a therapeutic approach to yoga specially developed to support women's health and healing. And before we go into that, uh, what that practice is, I'd love to start by hearing your definition of a womb and what it means to you. In lots of ways, um, yeah, the word womb was a very deliberate choice. In English, we really have two different words that describe the, 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 the organ, the womb and the uterus. So, and I chose the word womb because it's a much more old English kind of word and what it refers to, whereas the uterus sounds a little bit like a medical problem. <laughs> right. It's a, and a lot of things like that in English, we've got this choice of going with the more Latin kind of medical language of the Greek and the Latin, which is always much kind of more kind of highfalutin or the old English and old German words, which are more like things like womb. So womb is a really old word and it really is meaning that it's like it's this world inside. So I'm not thinking specifically of it related to a particular organ because many women don't have wombs. So I'm often working with women who've had hysterectomies and, you know, and you're, so you're not really focusing the attention so much on the womb as an organ, but the kind of symbolic significance of the womb to me is something that's deeply nurturing. And it's really about being held safely and being nourished. And it's also like a really creative place. So it's a place where like creative energies and nurturing energies come together to like make stuff happen. So that might be babies, but it might be books or projects or, you know, restaurants or whatever it is that you do, business plans and gardening and all of that stuff. 
And so actually I chose it quite deliberately to be connected to our roots in our language of English, right into the roots of the oldest words, and also to be connected into something that's very deeply creative and nourishing. And in yoga terms, it's like the space that's quite unusually brings like two elements together. So there's a sense in yoga tantra that different parts of the body resonate or hold the qualities of different elements and the womb space, and so that can be the space after the womb has gone, if you see what I mean. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just the womb, the organ, but the womb space is both connected to water and to earth. So that's why it's so creative. So it's a space like at the opening of the womb, like from the cervix down through the vagina and into the vulva is really earthy. Like you can literally feel the earth connection there. That's where our, our earth root is and then the waters the fluids of the womb um that's what that's what that space holds so that might be blood but it might be the moon juice of the the fluids of um different times of the monthly cycle you know the white as well as the red and also obviously the amniotic fluids you know that are held within the within the within the womb but within the the whole of the amniotic sac you know that the child's in so it's yeah fascinating that's, that's why I chose. so so i wanted to get across all of those qualities creativity earthiness both in the language itself it's much more earthy don't you think than the word uterus like, yes <laughs> where is a uterus i mean you know it, you know the uterus is what like gynecologists and medical professionals deal with but wombs are what are inside women and what we came from i really feel like it's much more of an earthy connection so earthy and creative and nourishing and nurturing and that sort of symbolically is also like it's a place of not complete darkness but it's a place of mystery and that darkness is something that is like in the night there's a beautiful poem that i i love from john o'donoghue who's a great celtic mystic and he talks about how the tides inside the night of your womb this idea of the child living inside the tides of and inside the night of the womb. It's like a place where we gestate. Um, so it's a place of darkness and mystery. Beautiful. And that's it. Yeah. So we can't see her, but, but yeah, that's why. That's a bit of a long story, but that gives you plenty to work with, I think. <laughs> yeah. And in hearing you talk about the womb, it feels like such a nurturing and protected yet, yeah, a space of movement and, and the root of creativity and, things that we don't often associate with that part of our body as many of us are so caught up in our minds when we think about, oh, I want to create something. Maybe I'll just think think it through. But, but it sounds to me like in your work, you're finding that the root of that creativity and, and the real space of creation is in a different place than we normally notice. Absolutely. I mean, everything that grows, grows from the earth. You know, it's like growing and obviously there are creatures that live in the water and creatures that live in the sky. But the kind of quality of nurture and nourishment that grows stuff is like earth and water. Whether you look at kind of Ayurvedic constitutional types or you look at Chinese medicine or you just look at the yoga tantra has the same kind of models that actually in that those models, this presence of the earth in the body is from the soles of the feet right the way up through to the cervix. And that the water element in many traditions in yoga is kind of separated out, like the water is somehow somewhere above that in this second chakra area. But in women, when you have that kind of organ or that kind of arrangement in the pelvis, what you've got is a mixture at the place where the earth and water meet 
and the, that create and that's the seat of creativity within this tradition. So it's something I feel and I see working in the world that people who are really rooted and created and grounded are often deeply, um, deeply connected to what actually nourishes all creative project um, projects, which is like coming through the this earth energy and the womb is like earth and water mixed. You know, that's where they mix. Mm. Yeah. And. And you say when describing womb yoga that it's all about reconnecting with the deep blood wisdom of womb cycles throughout the whole of a woman's life from pre-menarche to post-menopause. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us about the practice of womb yoga and why you felt a need for a new form to address this aspect of a woman's experience. Um, you know, did you see it being addressed in what we'd call maybe traditional yoga lineages or... Well, no, obviously that was, yeah. that was the thing. I, I'm, I'm quite a critical kind of person, <laughs> you know, and my training was like as a journalist and as an academic, a scholar, you know, and those people are really tetchy and critical and are always looking at other people's arguments. And I was going through the cycles of my womb life, you know, as a menstruating young woman and then as a pregnant young woman. Well, not that young, I suppose. I was in my in my early thirties, and I was like, "This yoga that I love doesn't really have anything useful to provide me in my yoga practice, um, other than to see a lot of this as a bit of an inconvenience." You know, mm-hmm. so my my sense just came out of lack or inadequacy. Like, I mean, that was I was going through my first pregnancy in ninety eight, and I was at the same time training as a yoga therapist. And what I saw and my job, you know, my project was to go around and to attend whatever there was for yoga pregnancy, yoga for pregnancy, prenatal yoga in London at the time. And there were some really inspirational people doing beautiful work, people like Janet Velasquez, who led the active birth movement in the UK and Françoise Friedman, who founded Birthlight. And I went to their classes and they were really inspirational. But I was a really kind of snooty yogi who'd done loads of this esoteric yoga stuff like yoga nidra and all the chakra stuff and all the tantra stuff and all the pranayama and all the pranavidya and all the mudras and all these beautiful things that connect with the esoteric body like the energetic body and the intuitive body and the the other there's five bodies in yoga and i sense that what was being given as pregnancy yoga was like was kind of okay if you weren't really interested in yoga but like i just the yoga people didn't really know how to handle the pregnant women and the pregnancy yoga people weren't really up for these people who really knew all this stuff about yoga and I I wasn't getting my needs met. So I was like, well, actually I can learn a lot from you, but really we need something else here. So it was developed really to meet the needs of myself and others who were going through pregnancies and then postnatal recovery, which was even more poorly served in general yoga classes. They're actually most general standard, like vinyasa flow classes, are injurious to postnatal bodies. They're actually exactly what you don't need to do. And so I noticed that people were getting injured and upset and overstressed and damaged and thinking they were doing good for themselves. And they weren't at all. So we needed, especially kind of looking at postnatal recovery, we definitely didn't have any kind of womanly yoga that helped our wombs or any other part of us, you know, from our elbows, which were really screwed up to our other joints, you know, and the same thing. And then as I went on, I saw that through each stage of life, maybe actually the standard approach which is a masculine approach. It's invented by men, for men, with men's bodies and minds. Of course, it's not going to meet what women need. So I just kind of kept on (laughs) putting together the practices that were all about nourishment 
and nurture and trying to avoid practices that were depleting, um, sometimes just insensitive and also kind of ignorant of, of what really was needed to support menstruating women, to support menopausal women, to support women who were recovering from birth, and also women who were seeking to conceive. I did a lot of work around fertility yoga as well. And all of these forms, really, I was like actually trying to find, there wasn't forms, basically. I, I think we needed to kind of draw on what was there and synthesize, you know, like create by bringing together what really really uh, nurtured the women and yoga nidra has really been a major part of that you know specific stuff for, for women so i love to hear you say these things because that's one of the things i found so comforting about your book yoni shakti is that i felt myself be represented and someone who i had a baby two years ago and especially had a challenging postpartum time and i thought i just kind of needed to sit out and wait until I could rejoin the regular vigorous yoga classes that I was used to. Um, and I still haven't been able to go back to them, um, two years after. Um, but I found things like yin yoga or slower, more nurturing ways to practice because I really, I didn't know what else to do. So I was so happy to find your work. Exactly. And that's like, it's such a missed opportunity. I mean, I'm coming at this really from the perspective of a yoga therapist I'm not interested in representing any particular yoga school. I'm fiercely independent, utterly have nothing to do with any of the schools or lineages anymore. I'm not interested in that way of working. What I'm interested in is who is this person in front of us and how can they in all their five bodies, physical, mental, emotional, energetic, intuitive, you know, in the big picture, how can every aspect of this being be truly nourished and, and, um, revitalized and supported by yoga practice and there are so many fantastic practices most of them i have to say are not asana asana is the posture and that's like one tiny proportion of what yoga has to offer and it makes me a little sad that most of the standard approaches to yoga are just like they're kind of workout forms which is great but if your body has been really damaged by birthing or is like in a very particular place because you're trying to conceive or because you're menstruating or because you're experiencing menopause you know pregnancy yoga is kind of pretty much covered now there's some really good work that's being done but a lot of those other places it's a shame and it's a pity that there's so much great therapeutic yoga out there and most standard yoga classes just don't have a they don't have a clue (laughs) there are people injuring and damaging themselves lined up like soldiers doing all the same stuff when actually probably every person in that room, if you ask them, might need some support. And if they just only asked when women came in, you know, have you had a baby in the last five years? That five-year postnatal recovery period is a serious investment in time. And if you can't, you know, attend to that, you know, what kind of yoga is that? (laughs) It's not very friendly to women, is it? (laughs) That's such a great point. And you're the first person I've ever heard say that. So... There's a lot of work to do. I'm working on it. I've trained quite a number of teachers now, and that's one of the things I send them out is you ask women of childbearing age when they come in. You ask them, anyone here you know, had a baby in the last five years? Those ladies need special attention. It doesn't matter what kind of birth they had. It doesn't matter what kind of recovery had. There will be needs that can be really met, and there can be healing that can be really supported by yoga. But there's also damage you can do. You want to avoid the damage and like go why choose stuff that's going to, they don't need the big stretch. You know, women who have given birth, 
they did the big stretch. <laughs> <laughs> they need stability and nourishment and, and, you know, deep strength, not at the level of what it looks like on the outside because they'll all end up with bloody pelvic organ prolapse, you know. You've got to strengthen from the inside, and a lot of the womb yoga is about that. It doesn't look very fancy, but it's really deep work, you know, for the pelvic um, floor and for working on the organs within and really, really supporting the emotional you know, health of women, because it's, it's like no picnic <laughs> doing all this stuff. It's, it's great, but it's, it, it takes a bit of support so the yoga can help you. Wonderful. Thank you for doing that work to educate teachers and get this information out there. Um, shifting gears slightly, um, one point you make in the book that I found very interesting is about the historical uniqueness of how many women are menstruating at a given time right now on, on the planet compared to our grandmothers and our ancestors who spent much more time pregnant or lactating or maybe didn't live as long. And I think that's, um, it's fascinating. And it's also something that you've said, this has happened without anyone really thinking it matters and I'd love to hear your thoughts, more th- your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, we're at a unique moment here. At a unique moment. And it is, it's kind of unprecedented and, and it isn't historically the pattern that we've had. And it's at a, there's a twin a unique moment, which is that we've got more menstruating women on the planet. And, and I believe also more consciously menstruating women, like all the work of the red tents and the work of conscious menstruality and the work of people like uh, the Red School. And, you know, there's a lot of good women doing fabulous work all over the world to raise conscious awareness. So there's more conscious menstruation happening. And there's also more menopausal and postmenopausal women on the planet than we have ever had in the history of people on the planet, because most women didn't necessarily live much beyond their childbearing years because they were all birthed out or you know they did we didn't have now we've got educated well nourished well cared for women of, of power in in the places in the world where women have access to that it's not everywhere in the world but we can see that in those privileged parts of the world where people ha- women have those things we've got all these consciously menstruating women and consciously menopausal women and i think that marks a kind of shift of awareness that can happen that is about being connected to the planet. Because if you're actively connected to the cycles that move through your own body, you know, and you welcome them, you don't pretend like they're not happening, like, oh, don't tell anyone, don't let anyone know, you know. Um, then if you've got that conscious welcome, that changes the field, I would call it. It's like the field of awareness of humanity is actually being altered by this in a way that I see now at quite a rapid speed, really, like a complete bubbling up of lots and lots of different little projects all over the world about that kind of reconnection. So it's kind of an ecological impetus, you know. So we have organizations here in in the the UK who are getting global now, Tree Sisters and the work of people like Joanna Macy and all of this like reconnected work with our planetary climactic change. Mm -hmm. I think that's that I think that's not it can't be disconnected. I see it's connect- I see that the world of the womb, like a cycling place that has changes, you know, and menstruations and pregnancies and the climacteric and the menopause and all of these great changes, like changes in climate and changes in seasons. But if you're honoring that, you, you, you have to be honoring the earth too, because like our bodies are the earth. 
Right. And uh, that is really a good thing. Like, it's a really necessary thing because things um, aren't looking so great for our planet. <laughs> we really screwed up you know? <laughs> so we need all these people to call our attention back to what matters that's what I feel yeah. right and and the more women who are waking up to this idea of um welcoming the feminine embodiment of the lunar rhythms as you say um the more they can bring their whole selves to everything that they do whether they're doctors or lawyers or teachers and um I, it makes me think about something you also said about how this work is not just about, say, menstruation or fertility or something that has to do with hormones or pelvic issues, but in fact, it's a practice of working with life force energy itself. Absolutely. You, you put that really beautifully because it is that. And that continues through the whole of our lives, which is why I've kind of extended the work into a lot of work with um, perimenopause and menopause and right the way through to the mature years. And being conscious that for most women, we're going to spend more time in our life outside of the menstrual rhythm. You know, hopefully if we lead good, long, healthy lives, that will be the case. But that is really you're honoring the life force within the world of the body. Absolutely. And that makes it everything else seem really clear. You become aware of all kinds of ecological issues because the same the same rules apply. <laughs> Right. And in, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but just this idea that this knowledge is a birthright of all women to have. And it's really about how we move and operate in the world. But um, so often we're cut off from that. And I'd love to hear, you know, why you think this sacred knowledge has been hidden for so long. And what is it about these times right now that's bringing this feminine wisdom back into the public awareness? Okay, so this is the big question, really. And I often do find when I start sharing some of this women's wisdom and awareness work, sometimes especially amongst people who've been in the yoga world, because the yoga world is not necessarily, it can be a bit misogynist, you know, it can be, and it can certainly not be something that the people who've done a lot of yoga have ever encountered. So I'm, I'm kind of straddling two worlds here. And I often find when I share this wisdom and say, look, this is our birthright. This is I, everything that you've said is entirely true. I, often people are very either regretful because maybe they never had a conscious menstruation in their life, you know, and it's long past, or they sometimes feel very angry that somehow they, nobody told, how come nobody told me this, you know? <laughs> right. So I did, often we're processing those quite powerful emotions. And then once that's kind of dealt with or out in the open, there's this sense of like, so how did this happen? That's the next question. Like, how come nobody told me? And then people sit back and say, so you're telling me that this is a deep and ancient intelligence at work in the body. And I'm like, yeah. And that it's really powerful. I'm like, yep. And that it's actually the life force and we have this power within us. And I go, yep. And then they say, so how come we didn't know about it for so long? That's the <laughs> question everyone asks. And then I'm just like, well, <laughs> you know, it was a really powerful takeover, you know, and I talk about all sorts of things. <laughs> and it could be a very long story, but like we're trying to keep it fairly summarized here. I think that there was just this whole sense of <sighs> that power was so immense 
that I think it's actually quite frightening. I mean, my argument in yoga as to like how come the yogis took a hold of this is that they tried to get a hold of it. Like, you know, this Kundalini energy and most yoga practice is all about controlling the Kundalini. And what that's about is about the kind of masculine way of trying to make sense out of this. Because in some ways it can be quite frightening. I think if it moves through your body, you're like, yeah, this is powerful, but I understand its rhythms. I get to know it. If you're given permission to connect with yourself, I think a lot of women really get into their flow. And they Mm -hmm. see it as an empowerment. But if you imagine you're on the outside of that, and a lot of the scientific explanations we now have for why women say, for example, synchronously menstruate. This happens all the time when I run retreats and groups, like everyone starts menstruating together. And we didn't really understand how that stuff happened. You know, it's about pheromones and all sorts of things. So now, but if you didn't understand that stuff and you saw women doing that, you might imagine you'd get a bit scared, wouldn't you? Like, what? What's (laughs) happening here? So I think there was some level of fear that people wanted to like take a hold of this and take over it. And I don't really have the big full explanation because it could go on for years, you know, but I just think that there was a power takeover and that to a lot of degree, the fear and the terror that was involved in that power takeover is like deeply ingrained. And it's taken a long time for people to be free of it, Mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, in Europe and also in the States, there would be the sense if you showed you had any connection to that witchy stuff, you know, they burn you alive. <laughs> so that's quite a good disincentive, isn't it? <laughs> it's right. Like, you might be very afraid. Don't even mention that stuff because they'll come get you, sister, and that will be the end of you. So there is a really deep level of fear that's kind of ancestral and present. And a lot of people speak more eloquently about it than I can. But I do think it's just taken a very long time for us to shake that off. And that now we're ready to do it. And we, I was joking with you earlier when we were talking about like, Now we have the technology, this extraordinary feminine technology of the web. You know, what more like spidery witchy thing do you want than like the World Wide Web and Instagram and Facebook groups and all this stuff? And like you tell one woman something on a workshop, guaranteed by Wednesday the next week, at least 50 of her friends know about it. Now we have this like I feel we were and I was really resistant to all this stuff. You know, I'm an old school yogi. I've been teaching yoga for like. 20 odd years I was born in 1965 like before there was any internet you know you have to see where I'm coming from I did a PhD on note cards you know like and didn't even have an email account all of that stuff so I've seen from before and now what I see is we need to embrace this technology because like we were born for this time like the women's work is getting out through the most inspirational way in grassroots stuff which is really important but globally like the kind of reach that like this podcast might have is, you know, you can't imagine it's a global thing. We're on a web. And I think that now is an amazing moment. You know, after all those years of fear and hold it back, now people are speaking their truth all over Instagram every day of the week, aren't they? You know? Absolutely. I, I, I celebrate that because it's like, it's a technology that's deeply feminine and that women are getting hold of it. And, you know, pushing it to its limits sometimes, I think. And there are not, it's not always great. There are some things that need to be changed about it. But I think if we use it well, I think it's a real, it's a boon. It's a great tool. So now is kind of the moment to like, you know, say it like it is. Because there's like millions of sisters out there <laughs> following each other's feeds and spreading the word. And it, although that, that can be quite narcissistic especially in the kind of yoga world of that stuff actually there's genuine celebration of grassroots stuff that turns up in real ways 
that's really inspiring. That was my experience, like coming to the States to work for the first time, you know, and meeting people who only knew me because either of the book or even just for for stuff I posted on on social media, like actually and keeping that up for long time, you know, you start building real connections. And then there were real communities of grassroots networks of people I was able to go and support and encourage with this work. So that that's great, isn't it? So we can be really positive. So I hope that's taken us from like deep fear of being burned alive to this sense that now people, we can really celebrate this stuff and just like go for it, really. Absolutely. Yeah, I can really... I can really feel that because even personally, up until a few years ago, I was really nervous to publicly talk about these types of topics and the things that I was really passionate about. And I always thought to myself, oh, I don't want to be known as like the period lady or whatever. And, um, <laughs> but it's to me, I'm so fascinated by conversations around power and, you know, the divine feminine and just women stepping into their wholeness as, you know, I'm on that journey too. So, it's like you almost can't avoid it if you if you're interested in those topics. It's like, okay, where where does this all come back to? It comes back to redefining ourselves as cyclical beings and remembering our connection to nature, really. Yeah, it's as simple as that. You've put it really elegantly. And this is and it's all about power. It's about the power of the life force and and allowing that to move through us. And that is why we need slightly different yoga forms than we've had. Because a lot of those other yoga forms about like power over the life force, like hang on tight and make her do what you need. And actually a lot of these more, a lot of the characteristics of the work I'm doing are much more spiraling and circular and feminine and then moving in a kind of way that's very allowing the energy to flow freely. It's letting things flow through you rather than trying to, and having power move through you rather than it is trying to get power over that stuff, you know, which you can't do, you know, in the end it's, it doesn't work as we now see, you know, <laughs> right. You can't pretend that stuff isn't there, which is one strategy we had, like just pretend like it's not happening. And then loads of women go crazy and get really sick. Um, and you can't really control it. Like, because also that has really quite some ill effects. You want to learn to work with it. And then you magnify your kind of own capacity to like be in that powerful place. And it's often a place of uncertainty, isn't it? Right. And being I, okay with that. I certainly learned that, um, you know, in my my little pathway of um, giving birth and all of that is that it occurred to me that there are so many ceremonies and rituals and practices and meditations that um, people have created to try to harness some kind of power or even kundalini energy. And here, all I had to do was surrender and my entire body would do it naturally and just flow with it. And it's all there. It's not even anything we have to do, but rather unblock, you know, these societal things that we've internalized that they block our access to that power. I think you, you put it really beautifully. It's like that. And often surrender doesn't have a really good, a good press in the West. You know, it's like you surrender into the power moving through you. Now that is right. that's real that is real strength. Right. To have the strength and the trust to let that happen. And you know, you see it in birthing, but I also see it when women hit menopause and when you're going through some really deep, profound stuff around coping with menstruation or with postnatal recovery or you know, even looking at orgasmic experience and seeing how that is in women's bodies, it's like 
that's all about surrendering into allowing this immense power of life to move through you and then that it really that's strength to me wow yeah what a beautiful wow yeah i've never thought of surrender as such a strength or as wow yeah that's such a beautiful reframe because we definitely culturally we think of it as like oh you're surrendering you've been defeated you're weak but it's the opposite it's amazing yeah I mean, and the thing is, I I keep kind of pulling it back to yoga because I'm trying to kind of join the two up in some way that maybe at some point I'll abandon in my life. (laughs) But right now, (laughs) I'm like, there are forms of yoga practice that like bhakti yoga, which is devotional song and yoga nidra, which is where you don't move a muscle. And there are forms where you're actually descending. You know, it's like a feminine um, access of strength is often to descend down Mm -hmm. into stillness or into softness. And the strength comes through rather than to ascend to some peak of like total control where everything is like, you know, and that's a very, a very male way of working, really masculine kind of approach. So, right. Which we can kind of do that. But like, you know, why would we really want to be doing that when you've got this other form as well? You know, I can kind of balance between the two, you know, and certainly in birthing, you know. You can't can't man your way through that. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It's not something that they do, you know. Right, right. You just have to surrender and let the power move through you. And the quicker you do it, the easier it is for everybody, really. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Mm. Yeah, there we go. I was so touched to see on the homepage of your website a video of you and your daughter in which you talk about your true motivation for this work and, you know, which is to pass it on to your daughters and future generations of women. And I'm curious what your hope is for the young women um, who are coming up now or the young women of the future. Yeah, so my... I trust, I don't even think it's hope now. I really trust that like all our daughters and our nieces and little sisters and goddaughters and granddaughters and the girls next door and the, you know, all of these new generation of, of young women coming through. I really trust that they, they, they can not have from a negative point. So they don't have to go through the kind of battles that a lot of women of my generation have had to do just to like, just to be themselves. All I want for them to be able to do is to be honestly and freely themselves, to celebrate their own cyclical natures, never to have to hide or to be ashamed of this and to celebrate it as a power from the moment that it first arrives and before. So Mm -hmm. I run retreats where quite little girls come and they're always saying, when do I talk to my daughters about this? I'm like, you don't have to talk to them. You just have to live shame-free and proud with this so that they see that that's how women can be and to celebrate it as a source of intuitive knowledge and insight and self-care and and really celebrate that it's a gift a blessing and not a curse right I've always envisioned I don't have a daughter I have a son now but um you know if I had a daughter or maybe a niece or or a young friend that um that instead of me trying to, you know, sit, sit a young girl down and say, you know, Hey, you should be so proud to be a woman. It's great. You know, yay. Instead actually, yeah, really living 
in joy of being a woman and sitting in circles with other women on the new or the full moon and then having it be so awesome that a young girl is like, oh God, I can't wait until I get to join the women's circle. I want to be there. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a sense that actually there's something delightful and really, really n- deeply nourishing and affirming affirming of the girl's identity that they really love it and they do what I see is the girls just they really love hanging out with the women so that's Mm. why when I run retreats I'm like yeah bring bring your daughters bring your little baby daughters bring bring them all because actually that's how we pass it on not by giving them lectures or education programs right they're not going to be interested in that they want to see how we live they don't do what you say they only live how you live Right. So if we live how we live in freedom, and it's been hard won for some of us, you know, mm-hmm. it took me till I was kind of like, you know, I was always keeping track of my menstrual cycles, but just for purely for contraceptive purposes, the idea of it having some deep inner wisdom was like not completely beyond my consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, but I suppose that was a step forward from my mother who thought she was going to die when she got her first period because nobody told her what it was because it was Irish Catholic, you know, and you don't do that stuff. Oh she wasn't the only one. But to think that my daughter would be in that place that you're describing, which is like, oh, no, this is really cool. Look, you know, we get a party, we get this, we get to celebrate. And to really, so, you know, for the girls to see what um, what a deep power it is. Right. And that, that really, really is a source of strength and wisdom and knowledge. And it, it helps us be really clear about how precious life is and how precious our bodies are. And I think it really encourages, like, really healthy boundaries and, self-respect because we're not having to deny aspects of ourselves right you know yeah and that that will really change everything you imagine you know a whole you know many generations of women having to deny a fundamental aspect of what it is to be a woman now clearly that's going to affect our self-esteem it's going to affect how we treat ourselves how we let other people treat us you know it's like it, it changes everything so we're, we've already done that work. So if, we've, if, if any woman like in that circle of those girls has actually found that for herself, the girls know. They kind of like that auntie. You know, they like right. that one because there's something about her because she's like happy in who she is, not trying to pretend to be like a man, you know. Right. Or trying to pretend to be like what kind of a woman a man says a woman should be, which is like one who doesn't menstruate or get any kind of cyclical manifestations of anything like power moving through her. Because that would be too scary because you don't want women with power. You want women who are powerless. Right. You know? So what I see is a lot of really feisty girls who like quite bossy and clear and God bless them. That's what I want. (laughs) (laughs) They're very clear about what they want. So, yeah, I love that little video. My, my daughter was nine. She's now 10 and she's nearly as tall as me. So, wow. yeah, she's clearly in charge. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want. Girls in charge. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for the women who are really engaging with this work, you know, and as the years go on and they enter an eldership status and, and younger people can learn from them. Because I remember the first time I was in a room with who, what I would consider female elders, and it absolutely blew me away because they just simply the way they walked through the room, I could feel that there was something different. And I thought to myself, I want to know what they know. <laughs> you know, it's a different way of holding yourself, holding yourself precious and f- truly being connected to the earth. I mean, it's, it's hard to really describe. It's a feeling that you get when you're around that kind of person, but it's so nourishing. 
It is. I think because they have nourished themselves mm-hmm. and honored themselves, then you can, then that's contagious. It's like it spreads. Yeah. You know, you want to be around people like that because they're not, we're basically not fighting with themselves anymore. They've got a lot of available energy. When you give up the fight mm. of like, I don't menstruate, I don't let on, I don't let anyone know. I, you get, that's a massive investment of energy. Basically, you're trying to fight against who you really are. Right. You give up that fight. You put those weapons down. Well, you've got your hands free then, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can do all kinds of other great stuff. Magnificent things, you know, and then you can spread the magnificent things to the other people because how have you got the energy to do this kind of work? I'm like, well, there's whole loads of stuff I'm not doing. I don't mm-hmm. watch TV, read magazines, or listen to I listen to podcasts. <laughs> you know, I don't take on, I don't want anything to do with that cosmic spell that says like this is how women should be, because it's just it's just rubbish. It's just not true. And when you just like let go of any investment in any of that, you've got pretty much boundless energy to do good in the world, and people like that. They like to feel it. Mm-hmm. And girls are good at that. They'll pick it up. So I don't think we need to give them education programs. I just think we need to live free and live by example. I mean, then we give them the freedom to be who they really are. Exactly. So that's quite something, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> perfectly said. Mm. <laughs> there we go. So we do it for the girls. That's what we're doing it for. <laughs> right. Um, and so for for people who are listening now and you know, are intrigued by this idea of womb yoga or, you know, reading more about your work or, or finding your books. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you online and other ways to get access to your work? Okay. So, so the thing I usually say at the beginning is, well, you can read Yoni Shakti. That's a great thing to read. There's a lot there, but not everybody wants to read nearly 700 pages of lots of women's stories. That's quite beautiful. But there's a lot of material in terms of, I think the easiest practice to engage with is sometimes with the yoga nidra. So you can just get audio downloads for free and you can listen to that stuff. Um, And you can also get some, there's some like uh, some video guides and practice guides and um, all sorts of things. The trouble is, you see, I never had a business plan for any of this. Like I just do what lights my heart, you know. So right Mm -hmm. at the moment, we're in the process of like redesigning a whole new website. So the best place you can go. (laughs) So if you ask me this, like hopefully a month down the line, I'd be able to say you can go to the source and the source.org will have all the Yoga Nidra stuff and all the Yoni Shakti stuff and Womb Yoga is part of that. But right now there is a Womb Yoga site and it's just called wombyoga.org and there's quite a lot of resources there and some videos through YouTube and stuff and they're nice to watch Um, and there's... And there's also a, a site that goes with the book called yonishakti.co. And that's got a lot of audio downloads and um, other kinds of resources, like lots of the yantras, because we didn't really get into that aspect of it. But there's a lot of quite powerful, deep feminine goddess forms that kind of protect the work. So you can connect with them through yonishakti. And then there's oodles and oodles of free yoga nidras done by myself and all the teachers I've trained all over Europe. Um in many different languages, and that's at the yoganidranetwork.org. So right now, they're in all those different places, but at some point, if you're listening to this, say, way after the recording date, there will be one site called thesource.org, and you'll be able to go there. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, sometime after, mm, I don't know when, we won't even say when, but (laughs) in the meantime, those sites will take you to those resources, and a lot of them are freely available, and then 
Yeah, you can get an ebook version of Yoni Shakti. That's quite good because it's been reprinted quite a few times because I don't quite think that the publisher realized <laughs> how timely it was. So there's an ebook of Yoni Shakti. Ah, perfect. Okay, yeah, great. It's also a little bit more portable, you know. You mm-hmm. don't want to carry around 1.5 kilos of this stuff. So, I love I love carrying it around. I, it's I call it my new Bible. I love that it's so thick. <laughs> yeah, it's like a big book. <laughs> I love it. I keep it actually next to my bed because I have this strange theory that the energy of a book might permeate my dreams and thoughts while I sleep. So I have just a few select ones by my head when I sleep. I am glad I think that. I do the exact same thing. I'm, oh. sure, I'm sure it works. It's just like a kind of really dream osmosis. It just seeps into your heart somehow <laughs> through your head. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also for those of us who are in the United States, um, you mentioned to me that you have a, a retreat coming up this summer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Really exciting. I'm really excited. Well, actually, a couple of things are happening. I'm coming back to... Chicago to the city and to Evanston as well. So I'll be teaching at Grateful Yoga and at Yoga View in Chicago, Grateful Yoga in Evanston and Yoga View in Chicago. And then we're running a retreat out in Wisconsin at the Christine Center. And that's in June. And it's the end of June, the last weekend. And yeah, that's an amazing place. And yeah, all women are welcome to that retreat. And we'll be doing a lot of yoga practices, but also a lot of sharing and circles, women's circles, safe and ceremonial circles and addressing a lot of the issues that you we were talking about, manaki and menopause and looking at all of our cycling years. So it will be a beautiful retreat. I'm looking forward to coming back because I enjoyed my visit very much to Chicago and to Evanston before. So I'm really grateful to the people who are organizing it and I think the bookings are all going for the retreat through the Amala prenatal yoga school website yeah and I'll um I'll link to to many of the things we discussed here on the show page so it's easy for people to find these resources yeah that's that's really makes it straightforward doesn't it yeah yeah I should probably mention there's actually a big a gathering of yoga therapists if people are interested in like the therapeutic and healing aspects of yoga yoga and yoga nidra um, uh, the international association of yoga therapists which is a u.s-based organization is holding one of its annual uh, conferences down in um, virginia and that's at the like over the 17th kind of june that period that weekend and I'm the, one of the keynote speakers there. So I'm speaking about yoga nidra and doing a workshop on the therapeutic aspects of like total yoga nidra. And we'll be looking at some of the women's health issues as well. So the people who are interested in yoga therapy might want to check that out because it's quite an amazing lineup that they've got there. I'm just one part of quite a big program. Wonderful. Please keep coming back to the United States. <laughs> are there any final thoughts um, that you have that you want to share about your work or what? what you are just feeling passionate about right now? Oh, I just feel really grateful of, of women like yourself of great courage in the United States who are really standing, you're, you're standing up against quite a powerful <laughs> kind of general consensus. And I really think you're doing a fantastic job. So I honor and salute all the sisters in the United States and in Canada, I was in Canada as well, who are doing great work around really raising awareness of this. So I thought I'd like to just share this as a beautiful affirmation I learned from my yoga therapy 
teacher who's called Makunda Styles, and he taught this beautiful affirmation that kind of encourages anyone who's working from their heart to do the right work. It's a beautiful affirmation. I just wanted to close with it, really, because I think sometimes when we're working really to do womb wisdom work, we're really working guided by our hearts. So we need to be kind of affirmed in that. So the affirmation is with great respect and love, I honor my heart, my inner teacher. Isn't that beautiful? With great respect and love, I honor my heart, my inner teacher. So I think, yeah, I offer that affirmation out as a kind of close. (laughs) Thank you so much, Uma. That's beautiful. And thank you again for speaking with us today. And thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been a real delight to talk to you. So I wish you all the best. Keep up the good work. Thank you for listening to the show. Visit us on the website at moontent.co to share your thoughts. And while you're there, you can sign up to get a free digital copy of my booklet, Moonwise, A Guide to Celebrating Your Cycle, which is full of tips and practices to take care of yourself throughout the month. Your feedback and reviews mean so much to us. If you enjoyed the show today, please rate us on iTunes. I'd like to give a special shout out today to Sarah the Prairie Fox, who says, I feel more powerful already. This podcast was such a wonderful way to start my day. Knowledge is power, and learning more about my sacred roots as a woman is making me feel more connected with myself and with other women more than ever. It's rich with information, yet easy to follow along and learn from. Very excited for the next episode. Thank you so much, Sarah. Our theme music is Butterflies March by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding, available on Bandcamp. We'll see you next time.